the sporting world as we knew it or of at the time, the sporting world that we knew of at the time, significantly changed 25 years ago today as we welcome you into this 378th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you. 25 years ago today, as we're broadcasting here today on August 17th, 2019, 25 years ago today was the day that the National Football League became number one in a lot of people's eyes, including obviously Chris and I, Chris and mine. We've talked about it many times on Unscripted, but 25 years ago today, August 17th, 1994, was the day that Bud Selig pulled the plug on the game of baseball. As baseball went dark, as all Major League Baseball games were canceled as of this date, 25 years ago today, the day that the Montreal Expos got fucked. That's all it is. One of the greatest teams that ever was collected on a baseball field got totally screwed on this day 25 years ago as... uh, Bud Selig pulled the plug, couldn't come to a resolution with Donald Fair, who at that time was the head of the Major League Baseball Players Association. Now Donald Fair is the head of the Hockey Players Association. I think he's done a little bit better job with the hockey players than he did the baseball players. But regardless, um, Expos fans that still, like myself, that has Expos memorabilia at home, probably have this date Uh, circled on their calendar every year to figuratively piss on something that Bud Selig had to do with the game of baseball because this was unbelievable. Um, They couldn't come to resolution, and the 1994 World Series was canceled. The first time since, I believe, and, you know, don't quote me on this. I'm doing this from memory. It was either the 45 World Series or the 41 World Series was canceled due to World War II. That was a legitimate reason. Uh, A bunch of millionaires and billionaires that couldn't come to resolution on a baseball settlement. That isn't that important in the grand scheme of things, but it has been the end of baseball, in my opinion, and I think a lot of other people's ever since. As we welcome into the program the executive producer of Unscripted. And I know we've talked about this many, many times, Chris, but I think it, especially on a day like this, when it's the 25th anniversary of Bud Light pulling the plug on Major League Baseball, I think it's time to talk again that this is the day, I believe, that the National Football League overtook Major League Baseball as, quote-unquote, America's pastime. Oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, I was listening to an episode of Mike's Time Machine, which I'll be excited to load up to the new website. I want to get some people listening to some of Mike's old radio shows from back in the 90s. And I remember uh, one clip from one of the episodes on there was you interviewing, and now I forget who it was. It was an older gentleman. Milo Hamilton, probably. Maybe. Okay. And you were interviewing an older gentleman, and this was right around the time this was happening. And you asked the question, is baseball going to be able to recover from this? Which, in hindsight, is the best question you could have asked. And the gentleman, I mean, nothing against him, but I mean, he said, yeah, I think it will. And uh, I mean, I've got a quarter century of hindsight, so it's not fair for me to... Yeah, and Milo's dead. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) assuming it was Milo, yeah. But whoever it was, uh, if, if that's what they thought, I mean, I think that was being optimistic. And some of that was probably based on the fact that it was America's pastime for so long. But I think you're right, is that it really changed then. They've never recovered from that. And I know that some guys like Bryce Harper and Mike Trout 
they're doing just fine, so they're not too worried about it. But I think overall, we're going to see, uh, you know, it, it continue to have dwindling ballparks in terms of attendance. And it just it doesn't seem to be doing anything right. It really resists change. They need to, I mean, Angel Hernandez is making more and more <laughs> terrible calls than ever. Like I can't, I'm not even trying to follow baseball and you can't get away from it. You need an electronic strike zone like that Atlantic League is doing and you need a shot clock and you need all this to even survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these these are really gimme decisions. Also, last thing I want to say about uh, Donald Fair there. Man, that guy's a tough negotiator. Yes, he is. I remember the, in the NH, last NHL uh, work stoppage there in 2012, I guess it was. Holy man! I like first of all, I, I actually laughed at the very beginning when the negotiations were just starting. I remember Bettman and his team; they put together their first offer, and it was radically changing everything. It was we're, we want this different, this different, this different, this different, totally different. Trying to frame the debate, and then Donald Fair's response was, "Okay, well, our counter is the old way, extended for a year." <laughs> and like like you know and they were shocked you could tell they thought okay well he's going he's gonna have to go and look through all our offers and like say well no this i want like this and they just ignored it completely and he just said yeah old way for an extra year and i remember when they finally did do it i don't know if you ever saw the clip of they literally had an all-night session and you see the next day it's like five in the morning and gary bettman and donald fair emerge from the room and they're in casual clothes and they just look like they've been through the ringer both mm-hmm. of them they're like half dead and they they finally got to a deal so i don't want to negotiate against uh, donald fair and he is a tough negotiator but yeah i mean really both sides lost in 1994 oh, no question and you know there are people i am very i have to admit i am very disappointed in Alan H. Bud Selig, mainly because he was the owner of the Milwaukee Brewers. So there's an emotional attachment to me growing up in Wisconsin, and I know Alan H. Bud Selig was a car dealer, and that's how he amassed his wealth. And he, you know, got the Brewers to Milwaukee after, you know, the Braves had left in 65, they went to Atlanta. No Major League Baseball in Wisconsin for five years. Alan H. Bud Selig got the Brewers in 70, basically stole the Seattle Pilots, moved them to Milwaukee. So obviously there's an attachment there. But there's a lot of people that blame Donald Fair for what happened on this date 25 years ago. I don't think you can assign blame to one person. It's assigned blame to a lot of idiots and a lot of greedy bastards that really didn't think this very well through. It really did not. And, you know, I think baseball could have survived if there had been a strike of maybe, you know, 50 games or something to get their point across. But when you start canceling the World Series or the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals or the Stanley Cup Finals or the Stanley Cup Playoffs in general, you start canceling the postseason, that's what gets people pissed off. I don't give a rat's ass if you only had a 120-game regular Major League Baseball season. Who cares? But you take away the postseason, that's where we have problems. The National Football League has had work stoppages, but they've never lost a playoff season. National Hockey League lost a whole season. I mean, it happens. I get it. But people will, I think, people will forget a little bit easier if they get to see their favorite team compete in the playoffs. And that's why people like me 
and a lot of people in Quebec, not that I'm a fan of Quebec, don't get me wrong here, but I was a fan of their baseball team. And as good as they were in 1994, to not get to see that team participate in the World Series is what will always, obviously, resonate in my mind 25 years later. And if I'm around 25 more years from today, I'll remember it in 25 years, too, because that was one unbelievable baseball team that could pitch, that could hit, they could play defense, they could do everything. I think they had a double-digit lead in the National League East on this date back in 94. So it was just it was just going through the it was just going through the motions. This team was going to the World Series and probably win it. And uh Messrs Fair, Messrs uh Selig and their negotiating teams couldn't get the job done. That's the disgrace. There's also a um as we welcome you again to this 378th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Never going to forget my friend who said, why does he do that? <laughs> I'll never forget him. <laughs> Love you. Um, 25 years ago today, baseball was canceled. 35 years ago, the second biggest travesty in Major League Baseball. Why one, Peter Edward Rose is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. 35 years ago today, August 17th, 1984, Pete Rose comes back to baseball. He comes back to Cincinnati, his hometown. He comes back to the Reds as a player manager and still puts his name in the lineup and gets two hits. I don't know who won the game. Doesn't freaking matter. All I'm saying is, obviously, we're still talking about this. 35 years later, Pete Rose could heat Pete. I believe as bad a shape as Pete Rose is in now, and I've seen him recently schlepping autographs, as you've heard me talk about this, schlepping autographs at Caesars Palace in the forum shops in Las Vegas, schlepping autographs for the greatest hitter in Major League Baseball history, the biggest omission in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Pete Rose could probably today, against some of the limp dick pitchers out there, Pete Rose could at least make contact. He's not going to beat a snail to first base anymore, but I believe that Pete Rose, even today, could get bat on ball. I truly believe that. Just because of the, the eye-hand coordination. Now, the stomach is obviously going to be a hindrance these days, and Pete uh, is in his mid-70s now, so obviously he's not running the 60 feet down to first base. But I believe against certain pitchers, in major leagues in the major leagues today, Pete Rose could at least get bat on ball. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, I would have liked to have seen. Remember when we had uh, Ted Williams on the golf cart? I feel like he could have stepped off there and right and made some contact too. Some of those guys just have the eye. There was that famous story about Ted Williams way back in his prime when he was looking down the line and he said the line is off by that's right, that's right, you know, yep. whatever an inch or whatever it was and. And they and then they measured and he was right. He just he had the eye. He could just see it. And Pete Rose was the same thing. You have to to get in in that kind of rarefied air in terms of hitting. I mean, when you think about how tough it really is, where getting four out of ten of your bats resulting in any sort of hit is an amazing accomplishment. Yeah. Obviously, in any era, obviously it it shows how difficult it is and shows how amazingly gifted those two players were. 
and uh, some other who else comes to mind besides Ted Williams and Pete Roseman comes to just making contact Joe DiMaggio sure 56 game hitting streak in 1941 Uh, he was a grade A asshole according to anybody in any history book that you read every old baseball player with Ty Cobb Ty Cobb was a dick Babe Ruth oh Babe Ruth was a dick too well, he was. Just I thought a, he was pretty nice with the fans. Oh, I think he's pretty nice with the fans. Yeah, in fairness, but he was. But to his other teammates, he was. Well, no, it's more just. I, I'm not even saying he was an asshole. I guess that's not the right word, but just I don't know. Just the uh, sports doesn't have an equivalent to a fat guy hanging out with prostitutes and having hot dogs for breakfast right. and like no nutrition and just smoking cigars and just it, it just uh, yeah he was just a. Uh, I don't know what that is. He was a, he was a degenerate, maybe, is, there a, you go. is a better way to say it. I don't know that he was mean to other people like Ty Cobb was. Ty Cobb used to supposedly, and again, I wasn't, I'm, I'm old, but I wasn't around when Ty Cobb was in his heyday with the Detroit Tigers, but I've heard that Ty Cobb made it a practice, like he'd be sliding into second base, spikes oh. up. Oh, yeah, oh, and yeah. And stupid shit like that. Oh, yeah, no, he was um, just, uh, like... He would sit there, I've heard that uh, he would sit in the batter's box, and try to, on his follow-through, get close enough where he could hit the opposing team's catcher. I mean, just stupid little oh, yeah, stupid he's well crap known like for all this. That stuff, yeah. um, I, I don't think you can ever forget. St. Louis Cardinals fans would never allow me to forget. Stan the Man Musial was a great hitter, obviously. Mickey Mantle was a great hitter. Um, people always recognize, and I'm a little biased, obviously, again, because of the, the uh, connection to Milwaukee. But Hank Aaron is the all-time leader in home runs with 755, not that pill-popping moron from the Bay uh, at 762. But Hank Aaron must have been a hell of a hitter to have an over three, I believe, somewhere between 315 and 325 career batting average. So not only could Hank Aaron hit for power, he could hit for average as well. And I think all of those guys that we've just mentioned are guys that you could sit there and you could put them and they could tell you even today, like you were mentioning about with Ted Williams, they could mention today where a ball is going to break, where a ball is going to hook or slide or whatever. And it's amazing what those guys could still see, I believe, today. The physical tools obviously aren't there anymore, but I believe that their eyes would still be as sharp as ever. And it's just kind of funny as we sit here on August 17th, 2019, how two significant baseball stories happen on this same day, 25 and 35 years ago, uh, again, on this date. Switching gears, I want Chris to get involved um, because I'm trying to, at least for today's things that are happening tonight or today, as again, we broadcast here on Saturday, the uh, 17th of August, 2019. UFC 241 tonight at the Pond in Anaheim, the home ice for the Anaheim Ducks. UFC 241 goes in Anaheim tonight, and I want to show you folks, before I hand the microphone over to our UFC expert, I do want to show you folks how far I've come. Listen to this. Drum roll, please. The headliner tonight, Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic from Cleveland. I remembered that too. Mm -hmm. Son of a bitch. I deserve a raise. Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic headline a stellar card at the Pond in Anaheim and to give you some more input as to what we can expect. And I have a question about this Diaz guy. Sure. I just, I'll ask that later, but I just want to, I'll, I'll have you go and, and give us a when little. When I get to that one, I'll let you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to ask a question about him. Sure. But uh, 
I want uh, Chris to give you some news and notes and insights about what potentially what I'm hearing is could be the best card of the year at UFC 241 scheduled for tonight in Anaheim, California. Yeah, UFC 241 is fairly top-heavy, but the top two fights especially are are pretty big. Main cards in the UFC always are five fights. The first one is Derek Brunson, who I really like, against Ian Heinish, who I don't really know much about, although he is 13-1. and one. Derek Brunson's at 19-7. and seven. You've got the featherweight bout of two guys I'm really not very familiar with, uh, the 21-6 and six, Gabriel Benitez against Sadiq Yusuf at 9-1. and one. And then you've got... Really, the third from the top. This is kind of an underrated fight. These are two really tough guys. You've got Yoel Romero, the soldier of God, 13-3, and against the undefeated Paulo Costa, 12-0, and the best body uh, in the UFC. If you, want a, if you had to hire an underwear model from the UFC, yeah. it would be Paulo Costa, for sure, from Brazil. Uh, but anyway, so the top two fights are the ones that we'll talk about here. So one of my favorite fighters, Showtime Anthony Pettis, just seems like a nice guy. And uh, the way he got famous was he had one of the biggest highlights in the history of martial arts, knocking out a guy I can't stand, Benson Henderson. And what he did was this great fight. It was already a legendary fight. And this actually wasn't in the UFC. This was in uh, Strike Force, I believe. And it's a great fight, fifth round. And Showtime runs over and he he jumps up and puts his right foot on the cage and then springs off. And with that same right foot, kicks Benson Henderson in the head and knocks him out. Really? Like it was like Whoa. something out of a movie, right? Wow. And so that became... That's like, yeah, kind of a movie set. Yeah. yeah, like you run over, like like you, if you saw that in the movie, you'd say, okay, yeah, right. Like you'd never see right. that in real life, right? But he did that. That became known as the Showtime kick. And I really like Showtime... Anthony Pettis, he does train at Rufus Sport in Wisconsin, hey, right? So, I mean, plug. yeah, so he's uh, he's teammates with uh, Ben Askren, our buddy. I've heard that right? name. Yeah. You told me that name. Yeah, and, yep. and CM Punk for that matter. But, uh, yeah, so they all train at Rufus Sport, so that makes them teammates in in, in the parlance of, uh, of mixed martial arts because there was all the dojos and all their teams and everything. But, anyway, Anthony Pettis, 22-8, and eight, really like him, against Nate Diaz at 19-11, and 11, one of the most controversial guys ever, had the uh, two fights with Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor had to move up to fight him, even though uh, Nate Diaz looks like he's about 100 pounds. He's so skinny, but he's actually bigger than Conor. So, of course, he did beat Conor by a second-round choke the first time, and then Conor beat him uh, in the rematch by decision and a really hard-fought bout. And, of course, he's pushing for the trilogy there. But, anyway, before I go further on that, I would like to know what your question is on Diaz. There. Well, about Nate Diaz, um, I was reading this morning... Um, and my question is simply this. Uh, after what I was reading this morning, the uh, reporter was saying that, uh, asking the question or what, after his biggest fight three years ago, where did he go? Oh, sure. Yeah, I can I can talk about that. I, I actually thought you were going to ask a different question, but I'll, I'll answer both your real question and the one I thought you were going to ask. Okay. So uh, he's he and his brother, Nick Diaz, another fighter, they're just head cases they oh, okay. they're from stockton california oh that says it all right there. they're basically gutter trash and they <laughs> and they just they're just they're weird and they're assholes and they're just garbage human beings essentially they're really really talented uh they're great at striking great at wrestling grappling uh they have great chins they look like just scrawny guys right, really right. right but they're they're really tough can't take that away from them at all but uh, no, I mean, a lot of it's just been, he'll say, oh, I only want to fight Conor McGregor or I only, oh, okay. or I want 
an insane amount of money to fight or he just, you know, it's just that kind of type of crap, right? And so now he's agreed to come back for some reason. What I thought you were going to ask me about was it was all over the news. So, of course, these guys are really strictly drug tested right. for everything, right? By USADA, the right. US Anti-Doping Association. So it's Olympic level testing, right? And so everyone at the weigh-ins, uh, you know, what they were doing around the time of the weigh-ins a few days ago, they were having... Some of the guys were having open workouts, you know, when a guy will have an open workout. Like some of the bo- old boxers used to do that. You know, it's like, okay, get the cameras around and I'll punch the bag a few times. And it's like, oh, open workout. And okay, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so so the, so the UFC guys do that sometimes. They'll grapple around with their trainer or something. So Nate Diaz's open workout consisted of smoking a huge joint. <laughs> but anyway so everyone's like looking and it's funny because dana white dana white's tweet in response to this was just an emoji with like a hand over the face like this like a face palm like uh <laughs> but so so for the record uh it turned out and it's funny because so he smokes this he lights up this huge joint like he's the biggest marijuana fan oh, on okay. the face of the earth Nate, the Diaz's are. And so Nate Diaz, he lights up this gigantic joint and then he passes it around to the fans and all the fans are smoking and passing it around and everything. So it turns, and everyone's like, hey, this kind of smells funny. So it turns out, it turns out it was a CBD cigarette. So I don't know if you heard cannabis. about... Cannabis. Yeah, yeah, the cannabis, uh, cannabinoids yeah. or whatever. Right. So you've heard about CBD oil and all yeah. that. So, yeah. uh, so technically, whatever he was doing allegedly was a CBD cigarette and doesn't actually cause you to test positive. Uh, because of it, it's allowed that type of whatever. So that's how we got away with that. Because I was like, "What the heck is going on there?" So, um, or actually, and, and also, even if it wasn't, it was far enough in advance of the drug test that I don't know. It's it's it was fine in the end. Is what they're telling me. But anyway, uh, yeah, I thought I thought that I thought you might have seen that. <laughs> you know, Open workout, smoking a joint. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Um, as you know, well, you know intimately, but um, I have a soon to be ninth grade daughter at home. Uh, she's 14 years old and she just taught me something the other day. This is how old I am. I didn't know that another word for a joint was blunt. Oh, I've heard that. I never heard of that. Really? Never heard of that. I think I might've heard that. I think, I think I've heard that used more than joint. No, I, I have never, I've obviously I've heard of a pipe. I've heard, you know, uh, the joint uh, i've heard you know a lot of different but i had never heard of blunt and i guess all i needed to do was walk down the halls of a junior high <laughs> and uh not only would i have heard the word blunt i probably would have seen a blunt being rolled so uh thank you to my 14 year old daughter <laughs> for uh broadening my horizons on my education oh boy well yeah i everyone knows i've never done weed but uh the uh <laughs> I've, I've heard enough about it that uh, i've heard about the uh i've heard the blunt term plenty for sure but anyway so it, I, i've seen polls online that show that anthony pez against nate diaz is the most anticipated fight by mm-hmm. fans I even though it's one, the, yeah. obviously has to be second from the top but uh, anytime you have a heavyweight title fight that's going to be the big one so of course daniel cormier uh, against Stipe Miocic. So Stipe is 18-3. and three. Cormier is 22-1-0 with one no contest. So these the only th- things that keep him from being undefeated are the two fights against John Jones, mm-hmm. where he lost them both, but in the one, Jones tested uh, positive for... Uh, st- but isn't, isn't uh, our friend of the show, Cormier, isn't he supposed to be hanging him up? Okay, so what he had always said is that when he turns 40, he's retiring. Okay. So he turned 40 uh, a few months ago. But, you know, he's just, he also, 
uh, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, whenever he lost to Jones the last time, it was the one that ended up being overturned to a no contest. But uh, when he lost that and he was crying in the in the octagon and just was devastated, couldn't believe he didn't beat Jones. He, he kind of thought it was all over. And then a year later, he's the fighter of the year and he's yeah. the heavyweight champion and the light heavyweight champion. Like he, in the span of a year, he turned around so much that he, uh, he, he, he figured he could ride out a few more fights and just really put a cap on his legacy. He was going to have the fight against Brock Lesnar, but then Brock Lesnar decided to stay in WWE. So what he has now said, he's been kind of going back and forth the last few months on what he wants to do. What he has recently said the other day is, He's having the fight tonight against Stipe, and then that this is basically his last fight, or he might have one more fight against his nemesis, John Jones. Like, that is the most... I'd like to see him tear John Jones a new well, one last time. There is nothing on. there is nothing in sports I would rather see than really anybody. I don't really care who it is, but I love Daniel Cormier, so I'll, I, I would love it to be him. It would be the perfect topper on... Like to, it'd be like out of a movie, again. Like, it'd be like, you know, you have the trilogy... First one, the bad guy wins. Second one ends up being a no contest. And then the good guy wins the trilogy, the third fight, and then rides off into the sunset, getting his revenge and putting cap on that. Because other than the two Jones fights, Daniel Cormier is 22-0. and 0. So the two fights against John Jones were in light heavyweight. So he's undefeated against light heavyweights who aren't named John Jones. And he's undefeated lifetime in heavyweight, where he started and now where he is again. Uh, I would like, if they do fight again, I want it to be at heavyweight. Because John Jones, the problem with light heavyweight is such a weak division for John Jones. I know he's really talented in the octagon, but he's kind of like the Patriots. He's in such a weak division that it makes him look even better than he is. Like these other divisions, like Cormier or whoever's the champion in, there's like seven divisions. All the other ones, I keep seeing them every time they have to defend the title. Oh, it's against this scary guy or this scary guy. And then Jones, it's like, Oh, it's this guy I've never heard of. And now it's this guy I've never heard of. And like, no wonder. He's he's the New England Patriots. He's an asshole and he gets to coast to victory in a shitty division. And I'm sick of it. And I have no idea what's going to happen tonight with Cormier and Stipe because the last thing anyone thought was going to happen in the first fight was that Cormier would win by first round KO. That was literally the last possible outcome anyone would have ever pictured so I think tonight will be way different this is about the toughest fight I could imagine calling I'll take Cormier just because I want to make a pick but man is that a tough fight but I do hope that Cormier does win this one and then goes on to beat John Jones and retires that would just be wonderful a couple of quick news and notes uh, before we get out of here on this uh, 278th episode and I thank you for uh, giving us a bit of an update on uh what should be a very exciting UFC 241 tonight from the what they used to call the Arrowhead Pond. I don't know what the hell they call it now, but uh, what used to be the Arrowhead is, is Pond. It, oh yeah, maybe it's. Uh, is I don't it know not what anymore? it's called now. But or, uh, or is it the Honda Center now? It's not. Yeah, there you go. It's the yeah, Honda it's Center Honda now. Center, yeah. When I when it was first built, I broadcast from the old Arrowhead oh, Pond. Wow. Yeah, I broadcast. Well, that was in the nineties, and mm-hmm. and uh, I remember. Um, and they were the mighty ducks then. And yeah. it was, you know, and talk about coming from a, a, a movie house. Um, a couple of quick things, less than three weeks until Packers bears from soldier soldier field in Chicago, really looking forward to that. Not only because it's the Packers, but I do have one concern. I'm hoping that Aaron Rodgers di- takes a couple of snaps under center before the regular season starts. Um, he didn't play. He was supposed to play Thursday night in Baltimore. Did not. Supposedly, the 
He was held out as a precautionary measure because of some back tightness. Um, I think that regardless, with a new offense, a new play caller, not, you know, not so many new weapons per se, but just to get hear Matt LaFleur's voice in his helmet instead of Mike McCarthy's after 13 years. I think it would be advantageous for Aaron to get a couple of snaps in before he has to take on that monstrous Chicago defense on September 5th. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, we've got other, and, and we will certainly, we've got other news and notes from the National Football League that we want to talk about. But I did want to make one, <laughs> have a little bit of fun here. Robert Kraft is in the news again. As we talk about the New England Patriots. Oh, boy. Robert Kraft is in the news again. Remember, this is the guy that got caught on AFC Championship Sunday in a rub and tug in uh, Jupiter, Florida. Um, Robert Kraft is supposedly, this was printed in the New York Post earlier this week, Robert Kraft is dating a lingerie model from New York City. Way to go, old man. See what (laughs) money can buy. There's no way that Robert Kraft is going to get a lingerie model unless you're a billionaire owner of a football team. But congratulations, Robert. Now you're just legally paying for it. Yeah, Um, now you can fly her out, (laughs) which sounds like a very handy arrangement. (laughs) Sometimes the easiest ones are the best ones. Absolutely. And uh, real quick, uh, before we get out of here, for you nine remaining Cowboys fans, Chris told me this morning, and uh, I did find out, uh, Ezekiel Elliott has packed up his whole training team in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, and flew back to Dallas this morning. Does this mean his holdout is history? I don't know, because you would think if his holdout is history, he would be flying to Thousand Oaks, California, or Oxnard, or wherever that place is in California that the Cowboys hold, always annually hold their uh, training camp. Uh, but Supposedly, he's in the best shape of his life. He brought his whole training team with him to Dallas. So you wonder now, Cowboy fans, if you've been worrying about number 21, it I don't know. We don't have any news, but I think it's good news when you report that Ezekiel Elliott is back in the great state of Texas, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, the former All-American from the Ohio State University. And I got a story about that later, too, that I think is preposterous, but we'll save that for later. Anything? Uh, What I wanted to say there, just briefly on that one, was I've thought for a while that Ezekiel Elliott is going to get something done, and small chance, miss a week or two, but I've kind of thought that they would get it done in the preseason and get it signed, because the thing is with that deal, uh, allegedly the Cowboys say that they have deals on the table to make Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott all in the top five highest paid at their positions, which, I mean, at least... And it's funny because, ironically, Zeke's the only one of those who deserves to be in the top five at all. Correct. The other two is ridiculous. I mean, allegedly they offered... Dak Prescott, thirty million a year, and he wants forty million. Want, yeah, and I, it's like we were going to talk about that later, and we still can. Oh, but unbelievable. I think it's preposterous, preposterous. And when you go to Mississippi State University, you can't spell preposterous. But I think it's preposterous that Zeke, that uh, excuse me, that Dak Prescott is asking for forty million dollars a year. Oh, it's I, I, it, okay. Listen, it's great to have confidence in your ability. Great. But the bottom line here, folks, is 
as the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, I believe off the top of my head that Dak Prescott has won one playoff game. He's won one division title. A couple years ago, they were 12-4. and Then the Packers beat him on that miraculous throw from Rodgers to, at that time, Jared Cook. Beat him on a last-second field goal. The year they were 12-4, and and Garrett won Coach of the Year. But when you've won one playoff game, and you're asking to be the highest-paid player in the National Football League by a bunch, I think you've got to accomplish a little bit more than, than he has at this point to go out there and ask for a $40 million contract. Yeah, he's not even close as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he's a, he's not a big-time passer at all. I can never see him hit, hitting 5,000. I can't even really picture him hitting 4,000 yards, which back in the Marino days, 4,000 yards, or even the Favre days, 4,000 yards was amazing. And nowadays, that's just kind of the standard for yeah. a top quarterback. And yeah. a lot of them are going over 5,000. Yeah. So, I, I mean, and he's nowhere near for scrambling ability. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not even Kyler Murray. Uh, I don't think he's not Cam Newton. He's not Russell Wilson. I mean, as a scrambler, he's okay. He's better than Case Keenum, maybe, but... Uh, I think Aaron Rodgers is probably a better scrambler, or at least oh, yeah. a, around the same anyway. And so I just I just don't see Dak being anything special. It's better than having a terrible quarterback. It's nice to have some stability and be an, like a passable guy. But I just I, I think that's totally ridiculous. And Amari Cooper in the top five is ludicrous. He's lazy and he quits on routes and he quits on his team. And I am excited to see him just let all of his fantasy owners down this year. Uh, last thing I wanted to say, too, was uh, we have a new listener who sent in some comments on a show. This gentleman's name, Jamie Vinkel, and he listened to episode 376. And he said, just listened to a few podcasts on Spotify. They are great. You two really have some great insights into sports. The segment on Tiger Woods was brilliant. And then about the wrestling chat we had about AEW and WWE in that same episode, he said, I enjoyed your point on how damn much the WWE has an event. Talk about exhausting your audience. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's always nice when they say nice things, and it's also good when they're just listening. So I appreciate that and hope that you continue to do so. Um, real quick, I keep saying we're going to get out of here and, and things just keep popping into my head. But, you know, at the end of... Uh, one of our episodes last week, I had gone on a bit of a tangent on when are the Green Bay Packers going to address their backup quarterback situation. And if you saw Thursday's game against the Baltimore Ravens, the Green Bay Packers have zero real legitimate backup quarterbacks on their roster right now. Deshaun Kaiser is not NFL ready. Tim Boyle is not uh, is not uh, NFL ready. And this kid from Arizona State, he is Manny something. He just got off a of college campus. What the hell? And he played at Arizona State. So pff, what the hell does he know? Um, this is something I think that Gutekunst should have looked at. Josh McCowan has come out of retirement, and he's going to back up uh, Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. Now, I think that's a brilliant move, and that's yes. why Howie Roseman is the best GM in the National Football mm -hmm. League, and I can't understand why the Green Bay Packers don't do, don't do something similar. Because, again... Now, I look at Packers games different than most people do, and I look at offensive line play, and I look at, at a whole bunch of different things. We don't have any cheerleaders to look at, so I've got to actually look at the game. And i got to tell you, folks, offensively, now, Baltimore's defense is top-notch. Don't get me wrong. But our offense on Thursday sucked. It was terrible. 
It was the most boring game, whether it was an exhibition game, a regular season game, a postseason game, or a you know off-season game. That was offensively just atrocious. And if, God forbid, anything happens to number 12, Green Bay is looking again at 6-9-1 or something like that because if they have to go to either Deshaun Kaiser or Tim Boyle, I think all Packer fans need to find a different team to get behind because if we have to go to either one of those two limp dicks, playoffs aren't going to be a thing in our future in Green Bay. Just my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, you don't even need to find uh, a really good starting quarterback or anything or a passable starting quarterback. It just has to be a decent backup. I mean, you look at these guys. I don't like really any of these guys I'm going to say as a starter, but they're fantastic as a backup. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, Blake Bortles, uh, uh, well, the Tyrod Taylor I actually do really like, Ryan Fitzpatrick. All these guys would be a, a massive upgrade over Deshaun Kaiser. <laughs> and I mean, would be like, yeah, like Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to make a lot of mistakes, but he, uh, I mean, if you need him to come in for one or two games, I mean, you could you could be totally fine. Whereas if Deshaun Kaiser has to play a single drive, you're just going to dread it. And I can't even imagine what the best case scenario is. That he gets lucky? Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's it's so reckless and irresponsible. And I mean, it's lessened a bit by the fact that the improvement of the top-to-bottom Green Bay Packers roster has increased so dramatically in such a short period of time that it's great. But for all of all things... For the backup quarterback to be yeah. the thing that you haven't thought that you should look at is just insanity. You spend $66 million over the next four years on Zadarius Smith, which we obviously needed to do. I'm not I'm not saying that, but spend a little money and get a backup quarterback and solidify your season in case something does happen long-term to number 12. That's all I'm saying here, folks. You spent $66 million on Zadarius Smith. You spent 55 or $56 million on Preston Smith. You spent 40-some million on Adrian Amos to solidify your back end at safety. And you have Deshaun Kaiser or Tim Boyle if something happens to number 12 Aaron Rodgers. Um, I've got another Rogers story later, but we'll get to that later because it's funny as hell. We've got a run on this 378th episode of Unscripted. We thank you, as always, for joining us. What was that gentleman's name that left the comments? Uh, Jamie Vinkle. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate your comments. Uh, continue listening and send in all the comments you want. We really appreciate it. And as we've just demonstrated, you spend the time to send some comments in. Chris or I, Chris or I will talk about it on air. And we thank you very much for that and appreciate it and hope that you continue to do so. Having said that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.